0: Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Very good evening to you in this beautiful month of Ramadan. Shukran so much for joining us for our quick question and answer session. I'm Khawa Salaman and we'll be with you r- right up until for the next hour or so, inshallah. Shukran so much for joining us and uh, please do stay tuned uh, for all those um, who's listening to us across the lands and over the seas. A big welcome to you and shukran for joining us. Please, uh, Uh, Do join us next week at the same time in our new Ramadan slot. So um, this will be our slot just for the month of Ramadan, inshallah. And then after that, we'll resume at our normal six to seven. Um, on a Saturday evening We welcome back again once again Answering your questions diligently And that is Sheikh Ibrahim Was as alaykum as- as- to you Sheikh
1: Wa salam ast了- rahmatul wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh To you and to all our listeners of The Voice of the Cape Inshallah
0: Alhamdulillah So a uh, big shukran as well to all our listeners Who anxiously await uh, the answers to their questions And uh, uh, Sheikh responds appropriately So a big shukran to you as well So let's get straight into that With your SMSs Please do continue sending them As we've uh, noticed And please note that we will not answer them immediately It might take a week or two for us to get through the questions And Sheikh takes it home, does the necessary homework and research to give an appropriate answer So Sheikh, the first one we have uh, for for this evening is Can a heir reject their inheritance so that the inheritance falls on the other heirs?
1: Uh, the issue of inheritance obviously there are guidelines in the Quran as to how inheritance should be uh, distributed amongst the heirs. Uh, however, in terms of uh, sort of uh, forfeiting, not forfeiting really but giving up your portion of the of the inheritance, uh, this certainly is something which should be permissible uh, because uh, all that it means is that you are giving it over to the rest of the And you you, you perhaps feel that they are more in need than what you are Mm. uh, to to get uh, those portions. And there is something like this called in the Sharia, which they refer to in in, in fiqh, which is called Ibrah. Ibrah normally refers to, to debts, but it will be very similar to this here. A debt normally, if it is owed to someone, he obviously has the ability to say that, look, it's fine, I'll write the debt off. And this is called Ibra so in other words that right that monetary uh, right which you have over the person you are uh, saying that it's fine you are writing that off and you don't need it or you don't want it any longer uh, so the same thing goes for inheritance um, uh, this Ibra although like I say it's to do with debts uh, it can also be applied here where the person may feel that um, that the other is uh, they are more in a position to rather take the inheritance etc uh, so if he, he does that it will be almost like a gift that he is giving over over to them. In other words, he's gifting his portion to the rest of the heirs. Um, the only thing that we will, will, will say here is that the person who's going to do this, he must obviously be somebody who is mukallaf, he must be somebody that is of, um, of say, he must be sane, he must be, uh, you know, of age, and he must not be forced in any way. In other words, there mustn't be any coercion from any part, from anyone, saying that he must give up his portion of inheritance. It must come solely from him, and he must be somebody that is old enough to obviously deal with these kinds of matters. It must not be a minor, et etc. Et so if those conditions are met, then it's, it wouldn't be haram for him to do this as long as he's doing it out of his free will. That would be acceptable. And the other heirs obviously then will now uh, take the inheritance according to their portions uh, and his portion will obviously just be sort of uh, dissolved within the estate itself.
0: Inshallah. All right. And uh, the next question reads as follows: Sheikh, is a stepfather-in-law a mahram? I'm a female and my father-in-law passed away. Is my mom-in-law's new husband a mahram to me?
1: Uh, no, the answer is no. Uh, that is obviously far off uh, because obviously um, your your own father-in-law means your father, your your husband's own father mm. would be your mahram. In other words, you can never marry him. That is a permanent relationship. Even if they were divorced afterwards, you are not allowed to ever marry your husband's. Uh, father, mm-hmm. but in this case it's not his father, but it is his, it is his stepfather. Mm-hmm. So in this case, obviously, it is further away from you as well. So there will be no relationship between you and him. So uh, you must obviously dress appropriately in front of him, etc., etc. And um, the the laws that would normally apply to a father-in-law who is a permanent uh, mahram like that would not apply here um, because of the distance, obviously, in 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 relation as far as as, as this is
0: concerned. Shukran I think for now we'll leave it there. Uh, we'll come back with more of your questions after this short break. Shukran uh, so much for staying tuned and uh, stay Live from Cape Town. This is the Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM.
1: Yeah.
0: The Voice of the Cape, pioneering 20 years in Muslim radio. My radio station,
1: your radio station, our radio station.
0: Assalamu alaikum wa, wa barakatuh. Welcome back, this is Questions and Answers. I'm Khawa Solomon. With me answering your questions is Sheikh Ibrahim West. So our next question reads as follows. Please do continue sending your SMSs on 47913 and via our Facebook page as well. Like the Voice of the Cape Facebook page and you can send it to us wherever you are in the world. And inshallah Zarina will uh, pull that down. Sheikh, uh, the next one reads as follows. Can I sit and make salah if my space is too small or very small or limited.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if, if there's absolutely no other space for you to make Salah and you are really confined and there's no other way out, then yes, obviously we know that uh, the Salah is as such that you perform it in whatever condition you can. You never leave the Salah off. And so if there's absolutely no, and, and this I would say, let's say a person is imprisoned and uh, they put him in a very, very tiny place where he's not able to really stand up or whatever. Then in such a case he can obviously make Salah sitting or in in any, any other position, for that matter. But uh, on the other hand, I just want to mention this: that if the the space is a bit tight, but there is another space that you can go to. That's close by, or that's not difficult, or you know it's, it's it's possible for you to look for another area to make salah in. Then, in such a case, you have to obviously stand and make your salah, because the standing or the qiyam is a rukun of the arkan of salah that must be upheld. Okay, without it, the salah will be invalid unless there is a valid excuse. Right, um, this goes for the fard salah, of course, for the compulsory salahs. For the sunnah salahs and the re- recommended uh, voluntary salahs, you are allowed to sit, even intentionally that won't make a difference uh, there's no problem in that rather and you can make salah sitting if it is a sunnah salah but if it is a fard salah you have to stand it is part of the arkan of the salah unless there is a valid excuse so a valid excuse could be either you can't stand because you are ill you are sick etc or you are old or you, you don't have the strength Or like in this case, you you can't stand because there's no space. I mean, it's just too tight for you to stand. Then if that is the only, only option available in front of you, then you simply make Salah in any way that you can. And if you can stand halfway, you stand halfway. You know, if you you can't stand straight up, uh, upright, you can stand halfway. Then do that to the best of your ability, at least to try and fulfill that particular Rukun of the Arkan of the Salah.
0: Inshallah. What if a wife tempts her husband to divorce her sheikh?
1: This is something that we mentioned, I think, a few times uh, previously. That um, when the wife uh, requests, or she provokes, or she's she's, uh, asking for the husband to divorce her, uh, or she's doing certain things because she wants him to divorce her, and she's doing it in such a way that she doesn't really have any justification for it just because she wants out of the marriage and that is obviously something that is not uh, allowed that is not the uh, jihad is impermissible in Islam there is a hadith where the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam says to us and the hadith is narrated in the book of imam abu daud and at-tirmidhi by thoban radiyallahu an he says that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said ayu mamra'atin sa'alat zawjaha talaqaha min ghayri ba'sin lam tarih ra'ihatal jannah that any woman who requests from a husband to divorce her without any due cause without any due reason then she will not even smell the fragrance of jannah i mean let alone entering jannah she won't even come close to smell the beautiful fragrance of jannah so this means if she is provoking her husband and she's uh, you know making him she's almost like forcing him in a way to divorce her and she doesn't have justification for it all right. Mm. then that is haram in Islam. She should not do that. On the other hand, uh, the, the flip side of that would be what if a wife is doing this because there is actually something wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay. She wants out because there's something wrong. Then obviously that's different because the hadith says here if she does it without justification. But let's say there is a reason. There is a strong cause why she wants out of the marriage. Mm-hmm. Let's say she's in an abusive marriage or the husband is not looking after her or the husband is not treating her well or the husband is not giving her haq as a wife then in such a case obviously she's got more she's got uh, more than enough reason to ask him rather to divorce her that this would not fall under the ambit of this hadith because the hadith clearly states if it is without justification so uh, this is obviously a, a, a further question that I would pose on top of this question. If the wife is doing this, I would like to know why is she doing it? Okay, mm-hmm. What makes her tempt her husband to divorce her? Is it just because she wants out and she's got no reason and she saw someone else or she fell in love with someone else just like that? And if that is the case, then yes, we have to obviously condemn that and oh, yes. rectify that. But if there is a uh, reason that she's doing it because she's frustrated, She's doing it because she wants out, because she's really uh, been in a marriage that has been very bad for her and very abusive or it has been very difficult for her to cope, etc. with real issues. Then in such a case, obviously, what I would say is that she needs uh, counseling and she needs somebody to speak to her and and, and guide her and her husband as to the way forward. Mm -hmm. And they need to obviously go see an imam that can tell them that, look, um, the wife is asking for a talaq. What are these reasons valid? Let us Mm -hmm. us investigate. Why does she want it, etc. Etc. If there are good reasons Then they can either go for talaq Or they can try to patch things up But if there is no reason at all And the wife cannot provide any reason Then this is where the, the danger lies In this particular event When a woman is asking for divorce Without due, uh, due right yeah.
0: Shukran Sheik uh, Our next SMS Assalamualaikum I'm in my idda. My husband gives food money, but he pays for the phone and he pays rent, but only to date gives me 100 rand for personal needs. Is this correct, Sheikh? I'm on. I mean, my last month of my idda.
1: Yeah, uh, the idda, if it is the idda of a first and a second divorce, which is what we call a talak a revocable divorce, then obviously the husband has to look after you uh, in the same way that he used to look after you while you were married. Mm. There must be nothing short. There must everything that you that is due to you must must come to you, etc. But if it was a third divorce, which is a final divorce, then obviously the idda is the 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 nafaqa is much less. Mm. It doesn't include every Thing because now it means that you finally severed your relationship and you're just going through the, through the procedure of idda, which means that your nafaqa will be less in such an idda. but let's say it is the idda of a first and second divorce and you are saying that the husband is paying uh, practically all the bills etc and is only giving you 100 and for personal needs. Obviously here yeah, we need to uh, clarify and ask what do you mean by personal needs? Uh, what else do you need? In other words that perhaps he's not paying, that you feel he should be paying mm-hmm. you know? And if it were things that were necessary that he used to pay then yes he should pay that as well but let's say your needs are something that is not really a need but it's just something that you want or something that you were used to but it's not really a need Mm. Uh, I'm just going to give a very crude example Uh, let's say you are wanting money to pay your DSTV for example Mm. and you expect him to do it Right uh, He's going to tell you It's not a need You don't have to have it You know You can live without it And it's not a necessity for you Etc But if it was something That uh, obviously He uh, You know That uh, that you require in life And like medication Or is it a, a Clothing of course Is also part of nafak As we know mm-hmm. But again Clothing and all of these things That we are talking about Must be within the framework or, And within the ambit Of what is called The urf Or the custom. Mm-hmm. So the custom plays a big role. You know, you, you you will be treated in the situation that you are in, the country that you're living in, the family that you come from, uh, how you were treated all the time, you know. So you can't all of a sudden, when you're in ida, now expect exorbitant amounts of money or clothing that is very expensive that you never had before or that you are not used to, etc. So... All those things will be taken into consideration. But in a nutshell, in a nutshell, he must give you whatever uh, he he gave you while you were married. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever was yours and what was a requirement of yours while you were married. Uh, And here, requirement again, I want to uh, stress this point requirement means something which you need in your life, which you cannot live without, which is going to make your life difficult Mm -hmm. if you don't have those essentials, right? So he has to give you all of that uh, to to fulfill those essentials. Mm uh, during the idda if it's the first or a second idda uh, of a first or a second divorce that is
0: inshallah and we'll leave uh, those questions uh, there for now inshallah we'll come back with more of yours after the short break stay with us and do continue sending your sms's on 47913 and uh, you can also fax them email them and um, send them via the facebook page please call our office hours zero two one double four two three five hundred to find those details back in a moment Hello. of the Cape, 91.3 FM serial. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, the Voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back. This is questions and answers. I'm Khawa Solomon. With me answering your questions is Sheikh Ibrahim Was. And the next question, we'll get straight right into it. Um, Sheikh, this does sound a little bit familiar to a question we just did earlier, but it reads as follows What is the hadith of a wife who tempts her husband to divorce her?
1: Yeah, the hadith that we mentioned earlier is a hadith that is narrated by Sayyidina Thawban, radiallahu anhu. And the hadith is in the book of Abu Dawud and Tirmidhi, where the Prophet وسلم, said, Any woman that asks her husband for a divorce without any due reason or cause, she will not smell the fragrance of Jannah. And we explain the danger of a woman wanting to opt out of a marriage without any good reason or any justification because the can- contract of nikah is a sacred one and it shouldn't be broken except for very strong reasons uh, and so that is the hadith and it is obviously a lesson that uh, you know we shouldn't uh, just uh, want to opt out of our marriages when mm. there's any small little thing hap- happening okay. but there must be reasons there must be justification for for doing it and uh, we, we should try to solve our issues and not just ask for divorce but like I said in the previous answer if there was a reason or a justification then obviously it will not fall under this hadith and she needs to then see someone that can guide and consult with him to tell them what is the way forward if there's issues within the marriage how exactly those issues may be solved
0: inshallah all the best to that couple and uh, as we said previously in other shows as well please do you know seek help from your nearest judicial body and um, from those closest to you and not just rely on the, the radio station or program like these to get your answers you know go and seek the necessary help or counsel that you and your family or your partner your husband needs at that time shukran sheikh okay so the next question is assalamualaikum sheikh and sister am i allowed to use my zakah money to donate a water well on behalf of a deceased i think we've had this question similar um, before
1: sheikh. Yeah, I remember this question because it deals with, uh, I mean, if you're t- talking a water, well, it's, it's probably in another country. Mm. Um, I don't think it would be locally. So I think we dealt with it from that angle yes. saying that if you are going to take the zakah out of your own country to another country, yeah. that should not be done unless it's totally necessary. Mm. Okay, because your zakah must be paid in the country where you reside. Okay, and this is taken from a hadith where Sayyidina Mu'ad ibn Jabal He was obviously sent to Yemen by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and the Prophet said to him that what you should do is you should call them to the Deen of Allah, you should call them to the belief in Allah Taala and to the Prophethood of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and if they uh, then obey or they abide by that, then you should tell them this Salah that they must perform, and then eventually it's a long hadith. At the end of the hadith, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi say, "You tell them about Zakah, and Zakah is taken from them and given." to them. From them to them So it means from that community to that community So zakah should not be dispatched to another country mm-hmm. If there is a need in your own country And surely our country is obviously much in need that's, There's lots of poverty and so on So it would obviously be best for you To not uh, send your zakah to another country So that's the one point The second point is Which I pick up from the question Is can you do so and make the niyyah That if you give zakah it's on behalf of the deceased mm-hmm. May Allah give the reward to the deceased uh, Can you do that The answer is yes Many scholars have allowed this, where you can actually do something uh, in, the sake of, in, the, in the state of ibadah, etc., and say, Oh Allah, I would like to pass on the reward of this to such-and-such such a person. Uh, this has been uh, established by the scholars of Islam. Many of them, although it's not a point of agreement, there are some of our scholars that dispute this matter or that disagrees with this. There are a number of them that uh, says it can be done. And uh, one of the uh, examples that is to be found on this is that when the Prophet Sallallahu actually sacrificed on the day of Eid al-Adha, he sacrificed two sheep. One sheep was on behalf of him and his family and the second sheep that he sacrificed was on behalf of the Ummah of Islam. So it shows that the Nabi did an act of Ibadah on, on behalf of the Ummah, okay, for the for the reward to go to the Ummah and etc. Uh, etc. Et so there's nothing wrong, uh, according to many scholars, that you can actually do this. So uh, if you do that, it will be fine. Uh, just coming back to the first point I made, however, if the water well is in another country, and of course, uh, you can give your zakah to another country If there's no, no poverty in the country that you live mm. Let's say there's no need You live in a place where everybody's okay There's no need for anything for uh, to dispatch your zakah Then you can give your zakah to other people mm. There's no problem in that But if that is not the case Then it's best to obviously keep your zakah local Because that is uh, We know the saying that says charity begins at home That is where you should start with your charity You cannot help everyone in the world But you forget your own neighbours mm. And your own community that are in difficult. And we are living in a time where there is great poverty right on our doorsteps, and we experience uh, that it is on the increase all the time. Mm. So, we as Muslims, we've got a, lo- a role to play as far as that is
0: concerned. Shukran, Sheikh. So, inshallah, we'll continue with more of your questions after the short break. Stay with us on uh, 47913. That is the SMS line. You may continue sending your SMS. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back. A very good evening in this beautiful month of Ramadan. We take um, a moment, and always where we can, to appreciate um, and make the me- the best of this holy month. Inshallah. So continue with your SMSs on four seven nine one three. Uh, Sheikh the next one reads. Assalamu alaykum Sheikh please explain Ruqya, what is this
1: yeah, Bismillah rahman rahim uh, Ruqya basically uh, uh, refers to uh, uh, when a person recites uh, certain words uh, of the Quran or certain words of the names of Allah Ta'ala or certain words that were taught to us by the Prophet. وسلم, and uh, you recite these words for the reason of protecting yourself mm. and for healing yourself against uh, it, may, may be physical illnesses, it may be mental illnesses, it may be inward, outward, it doesn't matter. Um, we know that the Quran has this power, we know the names of Allah Ta'ala has this power, etc. So, Ruqya basically means to recite words of sanctity and sacredness for the purposes of protection and healing, and uh, the scholars have, have been quite uh, you know um, has been quite uh, open to discuss this and to say that look this is allowed because we will give you a proof also as to uh, wh- why it is allowed and how it is allowed. Uh, but they say that if a person is going to invoke Allah Taala's names, it must be Allah's names, which is attributes. Mm-hmm. It must be like the Asma ul Husna that we can use, or His qualities and attributes that is mentioned in the Quran. Um, there's many scholars, for example, that insist it must be in Arabic. It mustn't even be translated into other languages, mm. because the power lies in the actual Arabic that is in the Quran, etc. Um, and 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 very importantly, many scholars say that when you do a ruqya in other words, when you recite certain words, or when you you know recite certain duas, mm. that you must believe that it is Allah that helps. It's not the yeah. words itself. The words is just a means, but it is Allah Taala that gives the healing. Mm. It is Allah Taala that gives the cure. It's just just like the tablets that we take. Mm. When you take the tablets and the medicine, you should never believe that it is the medicine that is helping you. But Allah Ta'ala allowed the medicine to have, to enable you to, to to be healed But the healer is Allah and not mm. the medicine So the same thing when it comes to obviously uh, reciting words of the Quran And I want to again say this It must be words that either in the Quran or Allah's names or attributes It must be no funny business It mustn't be you know things taken from other cultures or from other religions or from other denominations It must be solely and strictly from the words of Allah, the book of Allah From the hadith of the Prophet wasallam. All of that would be obviously acceptable and permissible yeah. Mm-hmm. And just a proof for this quickly uh, There's a hadith that uh, states that And uh, the hadith is in Abu Dawood كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يعلمهم من الفزع كلمات أعوذ بكلمات الله تامة من غضبه وشر عباده ومن همزات الشياطين وأن يحضرون The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم According to the Sahabi He used to teach the other Sahaba Certain words to recite When they are in a state of fear or shock Right? <laughs> what are these words? أعوذ بكلمات الله تام Say so I seek protection in the names of Allah that are complete. Min <coughs> ibadi. I seek protection from the wrath of Allah and I seek protection from the evil of His servants. Wa And I seek protection from the whisperings of Shaytan and from them coming to me or being present with me and this is the, the, the last comment here is actually what is important after the hadith uh, it says uh, and this is very interesting. This one Sahabi by the name of Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As, he used to teach this particular dua to his children, especially those who were already of age and that could understand and that could remember these words. He used to teach them how to say these words. But if he had some of the children that were not yet of age, that were still minors or infants, then what he used to do is he used to take these words and actually write them down and then hang it around the neck of the child. Okay, and this is the Ruqya The Rukya is the words that are recited, but it can also be in the form of the words that are written down. Okay. We know for example sometimes that our old mashaykh and Shuyukh, they used to and Imams they used to always make what is known to be as Panawata. Panawata that you go to the Imam and he makes you mm, yes, yes. And the Panawata is nothing it's it's nothing extraordinary really, but it's reciting the very names of Allah, the attributes or some ayat, some Quran, some prophetic askar to recite those names of Allah on the water yes and so the water gets obviously affected and it gets uh, obviously uh it, it embraces the words of allah and these afkar and of course a person then drinks the water with the niya of healing and protection uh, and there's nothing wrong in that uh, because that is essentially what rukia is mm. um, uh, and it's interesting i mean they've done now research also in modern times to show how the sound that water is exposed to can actually change the molecules of the of the water itself you know if it's calm and soothing sounds then the water will be different to water that is exposed to rough and uh, uh, very harsh or hard loud banging noises or sounds the molecules of the water changes this is from a, a scientific point of view mm. obviously from our point of view from an Islamic point of view we believe that of course the name of Allah must have an effect you know, the sifat of Allah, the qualities, the attributes of Allah, the Quran itself, when it is being recited, it must have an effect on a person, okay, if it is done sincerely. so. So this is basically in a nutshell what Rukia is and there's very clear guidelines as to how it should be practiced, right? We should obviously be very careful and go to people that are renowned, go to people that are pious, people that are known for their knowledge as well and that that not people, because I think one of the things that has also happened is people, they, 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 you know, they, they want to do this kind of thing, but it's a money thing. It's more to get money out of the poor people that are suffering or that are having illnesses, etc. So once a person is talking to you about money and stuff, they're not. Obviously, you must be a bit reserved, you know, Mm -hmm. go rather to people that are more in tune. And there was, uh, I believe, a scholar that was recently uh, from Tunisia that had run a number of workshops over the Western Cape with regards to rukia and what is true rukia with regards to Quran and Sunnah and so on. And the people that attended said it was really worth their while, you know, to be obviously involved with this particular alim to give over this particular knowledge of ruqya and uh, yes I, it is a specific uh, knowledge that uh, specialists and certain special scholars have and so you should go to the right people as well but at the end of the day it is important that you believe that it is allah that gives you the healing it's not the words it's not the water in itself mm. it's not the medicine it's not the tablets it is allah that gives the the water that ability to have the healing
0: qualities inshallah inshallah and in that segment we have to unfortunately wrap up our of questions and answers. Shukran so much for uh, listening and staying with us. Please join us again next week. Same time um, uh, during our Ramadan slot. uh, This is our new time during the month of Ramadan. Inshallah, after that it will commence on the normal uh, slot at uh, between 6 and 7 p.m. on a Saturday evening. But again, 47913 is the SMS line. Please do continue sending it. We will get it. We have got it. And we will answer it in the next few weeks. Jazakallah khair to Sheikh and Sheikh's family. All the best. Uh, for the continuous uh, work that Sheikh does in the uh, community and during the Salih month of Ramadan. We'll chat to Sheikh again next week, inshallah.
1: Jazakumullah <laughs> khairan to you, Sister Hawa. And uh, may, inshallah, you and all our listeners be under the protection of Allah. Until we meet again, Wassalamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh.
0: And for myself, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Wassalamu and a very good evening.